0: Well, uh, good morning. It's great to be here with you on this special day, a day where we are looking at God's perspective on motherhood. And I want to look this morning uh, at a slightly different side of that from the book of Ephesians. Uh, Before we do, I just want to remind you that if you were ever uh, wanting to listen to any of the messages to get online and check them out, um, they are there. Uh, So sometimes people miss messages. Uh, You can always go back and listen to the... to them again. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, Often I speak quite fast and fly through things, so you can go home, you can listen to it again, you can hit pause, take notes... Uh, There's a lot to take in and take down, so I'd really encourage you to do that. Uh, This morning, uh, I want to speak to fathers, and I'm going to speak to children. Now, I noticed, I don't know if my kids were looking at my message beforehand, but they're not sitting where they would normally sit. They're kind of hiding up the back, and uh, Mark's six foot three, so he couldn't hide from me, but... um, I was wondering if he's looked at the the message already. But I want to speak to husbands and I want to speak to children. This is a a very, very important topic. Uh, It has encouraged my soul immensely by going through this this past week. So uh, again, we are looking here this morning at Ephesians 5.25 to 6.3. So if you will turn there with me, we'll read that in a moment. Uh, But again, this well-known passage... This well-known passage, you might be thinking, well, you're going to focus on the the role of a mother. And something to that end, you might be wondering why I'm in verse 25 and not 21 onwards. Uh, This morning, I want to look at the responsibility that those within the family have towards the mother of that family. The responsibility that husbands have to their wife who is also the mother of their children, and the responsibility that children have to their own mother. And obviously, we are taking this directly from the Word of God this morning. Now, I know and understand that uh, this passage is the setting where we have a mother and a father and children. And obviously, uh, Paul includes them so as to give us all instruction uh, on this wonderful topic. But you'll know very well that it isn't always the case that a wife... Is a mother, or that a wife has a husband, or that a wife can't be a mother with her own biological children. These are often realities that we face in society for one reason or another. Can I say to those who can't be mothers, can I say to you that you can in the family of God function as a mother to the children of those families within the body of Christ? you can still, in an amazing way, impact souls for Christ. You can still shower those young children who have their own parents with love, with grace, giving them instruction, sharing kind words with them, sharing your wisdom, and even looking out for them. So you can still function as a mother to the children within the body of Christ. And that is very important to remember and to never forget. Now, I would welcome that from you if that is you with my children. But here, here in Ephesians 5, Paul speaks to the family unit where all family members are present. And all family members are, in fact, obviously following God, listening to his word, and present in church contexts. He speaks directly to husbands and he speaks directly to children. Now, having said that, it is also often the case that in many families, a, a wife may not have a husband who knows the Lord, right? Therefore, that husband is not here to listen to the instruction from God and his word. And he's likely, because he's not uh, following the Lord, going to submit to it anyway. And, and the same goes the other way. So these are some difficulties that we have to work through. Nonetheless, Paul here in Ephesians gives everyone encouragement no matter what situation they might find they might find themselves in. So this morning, this morning we are dealing with the family member as per God's design for each member. And as I said a moment ago, we want to focus on that which is due to a mother in a family environment. And you'll know very well that Paul, when he writes this, speaks to a group of Christians who were in a culture where mothers and women in general were not esteemed, were not held in high honor as God calls us to do so, but who were in fact often treated as second-class citizens. That was the reality in the culture of the day. And here Paul desires that the wife who is or who has been or might be a mother must be honored, must be loved, must be respected and cared for To the greatest degree. Paul calls for the Ephesian church to not be influenced by the culture, but to rise above it to the standards that God presents. So let's let's turn there and let's read that together from Ephesians chapter five. And we're looking at verse twenty-five all the way down to chapter six, verse three. In verse twenty-five, Paul says this husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement, the instruction, the guidance and even the correction that it brings into our own lives personally. And we thank you that your words don't just encourage but they speak on every topic in life. And Father, we consider uh, the wonder of your word and how it speaks into the concepts of the family unit here. And Father, we pray as we are so aware that this is so important to understand We thank you for the family unit. We thank you for fathers, for mothers, for children. And Father, we pray as we spend some time looking in these passages that you will help us to understand what your word says so that you will be honoured and so that mothers will be uh, given the honour, the respect and the love that they deserve according to your word and according to your design. And Father, I pray for myself this morning. I ask that you, by your spirit, would give me clarity of mind and speech so that I might speak to your children and build them up and encourage them. Father, I pray that you would guide my mind, my lips, and Father, that you, by your grace and through your Holy Spirit, would move amongst us and give us all clarity, and that you would bring encouragement and conviction where it is needed. And Father, as we always ask, we ask again this morning that you would help us to leave here this morning as people who become all the more determined to live according to your word. And Father, we think of this challenge uh, laid here this morning before the feet of husbands and children. I ask, Lord God, that you would help us to have soft, teachable hearts as we consider this and that we will all leave here this morning realizing the wonderful precious treasure that we have in our wives and in our mothers father we give you thanks we praise you and lord god we ask for your blessing for this time together in jesus precious name amen amen well that is vitally important that we hear from god and god's word isn't it because if you think about this logically uh, in a family context a mother or a father, or anyone for that matter, but here a mother, a mother will be cherished and loved by the highest standard known by those in the family. That just makes sense, doesn't it? What a family understands regarding love for their mother will be carried out. They function according to the highest standard that they know, and people will generally do their best with what they know to be true. Now, we might think within ourselves, if we're not careful, that we love our mother. Or as husbands, we love our wives with a great and supreme love. And sometimes we might be tempted to compare ourselves with someone who we may see in the media or on the TV who doesn't do a very good job of it. And we find great comfort in that. Well, I do a great job as a husband. And the kids can look at themselves and say, wow, we are wonderful kids because look at them over there. And, and that can be a temptation for us. And that's something we have to watch. But if we go away, and if we compare ourselves to God's standard, which um, husbands and kids we're going to do this morning, and this was convicting for me, and it'll be convicting for you, but if we do that, we will realize that we all fall far short. We don't live up to the lofty standard that God calls husbands and children to live up to. Now think about it this way. If you've been married and been married for some time, you should technically, if you've been growing as a Christian, be able to look back and see and reflect on your marriage at the start that, hey, I did not love my wife in a way that I should have loved her according to God's word. Because we should have been moving along and and growing in that love for our wife as we've been growing in our love for the Lord. That's just how it works. So we should look back and realise at the start that my love for my spouse was not what it should have been. So we can realize that if we had to grow, then we still have more room to grow. And that is something that we will all be doing until the day we die. There is no point where you can be satisfied with where you're at as a husband, where you're at as a child in relation to your parents, and even where you're at as a mother. We all should be moving forward and growing So of necessity, of necessity, we need to hear this, right? We all need to hear God's instruction so that God is honored and so that mothers are honored by receiving the love, according to Scripture, that they deserve from the family unit. This is very, very important. Our first point is this. Our first point relates to husbands. And that is that mothers are to be the recipients of their husband's purifying love. Mothers are to be the recipients of their husband's purifying love. And that has everything to do with how the husband treats his wife. And from the children's perspective, this is how their dad loves their mum, right? And from a son's perspective, this is how I am to love my wife in the future. From a daughter's perspective, this is how I am to be loved by my future husband. So everyone in the family is looking on at how a husband functions with his wife. It relates to everyone. And everyone is impacted by what goes on in the family unit. So this is very important. Everyone learns from this and everyone must learn from this. Take a look at verse 25. Look at what Paul says here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church... And gave himself up for her. So we could say it this way, it's pretty clear, isn't it? What Jesus is to the church, husbands are to wives. That's the point here. Jesus' love for the church is what? It's the benchmark, it's the standard, it's the model, it's the example. We look to Christ and how he loves the church, how he loved us at Calvary, and how he continues to love us. And husbands, we are to model our love for our wives after that example. And we know that, we understand that, and that's pretty obvious. We know, and you've been around the church a little while, that husbands are to lay their lives down for their wives, right? And we can come away and we can think that um, that means a specific thing. And I am tempted to think that we men don't understand this well enough, and I want to explain that. We might be tempted to think, well, guys, we we go to work, we earn money, we, we mow the lawn, we chop down the trees, and we do all the manual labor, all the physical things that my wife may not be able to do, and that is me laying down my life for my wife. We might be tempted to think that that is the scope and the extent of my sacrificial love. Anything she can't do, then I'll do that, and that's my sacrificial love towards her. We can come away thinking that that's what it is. And often, if we're honest as men, uh, the things that we choose to do for our wife often benefit us. We often do them out of selfish motives and for selfish reasons. They're the things that we actually secretly enjoy and we do and we, we love doing them. They're no burden to do. Friends, that is not loving our wives or the mother of our children with Christ's love. Now, it's part of it. It's service, it's sacrificial, it's, it's wonderful, but that's not what this is about. Let's take a look at the purpose or the intent behind Christ's love here. It is for the complete betterment and benefit of the church. And yes, betterment is a word. It is for the betterment and benefit of the church. Christ gave up his life sacrificially for us in every single way. Let's consider this for a moment. The love of Christ on Calvary, the coming of the Son of Man in human flesh, his dying on the cross was for us. Why? Because we desperately needed it. We desperately needed it. We couldn't redeem ourselves. We couldn't earn our way to heaven. Jesus Christ came and did that which was necessary to give us life and to restore us back to the Father. Scripture says that the lost... Those who haven't yet come to Christ are dead in sin and they are under the wrath of God. And we know this very well. The son gave his life that we would not incur the wrath of his father and go to an eternal punishment in hell. You might be tempted to think, well, he loved us because there was something lovable about us. No, he loved us because he is love. He loved us because we needed it. In fact, he loved us while we were still his enemies. And that kind of love is foreign to mankind, is it not? To love someone who is your enemies while we were most vile, while we were most unlovable in his sight, Christ loved us. Again, he didn't love us because we'd earned it. He didn't look down the annals of time and and determine who was going to love him the most. He loved us indiscriminately. Why? Because we are all dead in sin. And you know, we think of the marriage situation and as it is. And in marriage, we have a whole lot of conditions on our love. And this goes two ways, but it's often the case that we make an agreement with our spouse. We will meet them halfway. And if you give 50%, I'll give 50%. And often it's the case that when we don't see them giving 50% but maybe 10, that we withdraw our 50 back to 10 as well. We often find it very hard to love someone who is being unlovable. And we can often be tempted to think that our love for our wife is based upon um, their good works, whether they've been kind or whether they are in fact worthy. Christ didn't do that. Christ didn't love the church in that way. It wasn't a 50-50 arrangement. When we were completely unlovable, Christ loved us. And again, you and I have to have as our goal and our objective the good of our wife, her good and her good alone. That's what it means to love sacrificially. And friends, men, our children, our children need to see us laying aside our own wants, our own desires in order to help our wives, in order to serve them, in order to love them. And you know what? We, we do this when they're lovely. We do this when they're sweet. We do this when they roll out of the right side of the bed and they get up and they're cheery and they're wonderful, they're happy. And it's easy to do it then, isn't it, men? It's easy to love your spouse at that time. But a person most needs to be loved when they are most unlovable. Do you get that? When a person has checked out, woken up on the wrong side of the bed, when they're angry, they're prickly, and you just don't know why, it is at that time that they most need you to be loving and patient and gracious. Christ did not withdraw his love and his affections ever. And he still doesn't, does he not? Even as a child of God, he's patient with us. He's long-suffering. He bears with us in our weaknesses, our frailties, our inadequacies, and so on. He loves us with a perfect and pure love, which doesn't have strings attached, which doesn't have conditions. He never withdraws. He is always faithful, and that is because he is love. He is our example, men. We are to love our our wives as Christ loved the church. But take a look at verse 26. Because that was the principle. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did he love her? What specifically did he do in order to show that love? Look at verse 26. That he might what? Sanctify her. The word That's the word make holy. That he might set her apart and make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know what? Husbands, men, we hear those words and we often just grab hold of laying your life down as Christ did for the church. And we skip over these verses here in 26 and 27 because that's the actual description of what Jesus Christ did by laying his life down. This is what he accomplished, this is what his goal was. His purpose, this is why he laid down his life, to sanctify her, to make her holy. How did the Lord Jesus Christ sanctify and cleanse his bride, the church, having cleansed her? Look at what it says, by the washing of water with the word. You know this all too well, that you and I were saved when God, through the Holy Spirit, took his word, the Bible and enable us to understand. Our eyes were open and we responded, we believed and we trusted and we turned to Christ. And at that moment, the new birth occurred. We were made alive spiritually. The Bible says that no one goes to heaven unless they are born again. And that's what happened when we first believed. At that moment, we were cleansed, we were washed, we were forgiven. All of our sins, past, present and future were paid for and we were given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Lord God did that through his word and through his Holy Spirit for us. We were made acceptable to God for all time. When Jesus laid down his life, that is what he achieved, that is what he accomplished. And here, in reference to the church being Jesus' bride, take a look at what Paul says in verse 27. Go over it again. So that he might what? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Why is that the case? Why is that necessary? Well, for the church to be one with Christ, to be united with Jesus, he is pure and holy, we must become pure and holy. It was necessary that we were washed, forgiven and declared righteous. This he did in an amazing way. Jesus Christ laid down his life, not just to get you to heaven, but to make you holy, to make you blameless for himself. The language he uses here, without spot or wrinkle or without blemish, we're not talking about externals here. Otherwise, none of you would have spots and blemishes and wrinkles. And uh, I'm not going to talk about that this morning. Uh, But the idea here about spots and wrinkles and blemishes, it's talking about the inner person. It's talking about the heart, the inner man, you within this body. And he's basically referring to salvation here. That he made us holy. He sanctified us, washed us and cleansed us on the inside. And though the outer man wastes away and decays and is still sinful at times, the inner man is purified in the sight of God. And we are holy and acceptable to God in every way. That was the goal and purpose in Christ coming to earth. So husbands, what do we take away from this? Well, Our love for our wives is to be sacrificial, but it's to go beyond the physical uh, means and measures that we generally pursue. And it's got to focus on our wives' spiritual needs. You see, men are charged here with the responsibility of making sure that our wives are, what, listen to this men, being sanctified and established in their walk with Christ. Have you ever considered that? I don't think I focused on it enough. I I, kind of did it, I guess, but I never really focused on that as a clear instruction from this passage. Because Jesus Christ's objective and mission was to sanctify the church, his bride. We had to follow that example. Men, our responsibility is to live in such a way so as to be a sanctifying agent in the life of our wives. Now, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. And if you don't get that, if you've never considered that, then you've probably not been doing it to a great extent. We are to bring them along, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help guide and do all that is necessary in order for our wife, who is the mother of our children, to grow in Christ's likeness. Now, we know that's true, true of the church context, where elders... Uh, are here and gifted and called to present the body mature in Christ. That's our goal and our responsibility. Husbands, our job in our own home is to do the same. Now, you might object and you might say, well, hang on a minute, Rod, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's my wife's own responsibility before God. And that is true. That is true in part. But I think we as men, we miss the point. Regarding the role that we actually play in this as well, we have a huge role in the sanctification as our wife, for our wife. This sanctifying work that we are to be engaged in, that we are to be involved in, uh, it is something we must take seriously. The wife, the mother. She is to be the recipient of the husband's sacrificial love. And what would we say? How do we summarize that? Well, the reality is something we need to focus on is that everyone should see this. If I am doing what I'm meant to be doing as a husband, then everyone should see this. And perhaps you might say as a husband, well, what should this look like? How should this practically flesh itself out in my family life? Well, again, husbands are to live in such a way so as to make the choices and decisions that build up and encourage their wives in their walk with the Lord. Sometimes it's a decision to do a certain thing and sometimes it's a decision to not do a certain thing. This means that husbands are to take the lead, to possess the conviction, to bring the family along in the things of God. If we are called to sanctify our wives then we need to take the lead and we need to have the conviction to do that. That's our responsibility. Young women, make sure that you marry the man who is pursuing likeness. Make sure that when you look forward to a future husband, that this is his goal. And obviously, he's not going to be perfect, but this is something you want to look forward to. Because if you marry him in a, current, in a coming day, he is going to be that person who is responsible to bring you along in the things of the Lord. And if he's not doing it now, and he has no idea how to do it, then how will he do it when you're married? Obviously, God is gracious, but this is something we need to consider. You need to make sure that he is leading the charge, that he isn't always having to be pushed to seek Christ and to pursue Christ, that this is his own conviction from the heart. So men, myself included, do we lead our wives to green pastures or to barren wastelands? Do we lead our wives away from sources of temptation or towards them? Are we feeding our own souls so as to be able to feed our family and our wife especially? And we can see clearly from this and even answering those questions that the husband is to be the shepherd of his wife and his family. You can't give what you yourself do not have. And it is a great responsibility upon us as men to be feeding our own souls so that we can feed the souls of our family. Now, you can test this for yourself. And this isn't an absolute science, of course. But let me give you an example. Consider livestock for a moment. Um, Now, hang on. (laughs) Consider livestock for a moment. Now, you know that when you drive past that paddock and you see a... Um, an animal with its ribs sticking out and its hair knotted and twisted and it, can, it limps and it's, um, it's got all manner of ailments, you know that the person in charge of that animal is not caring for it. There's all the symptoms and there are all the signs. It's either underfed or it's overfed. It's neglected. It's badly kept. The condition of that certain bit of livestock reflects back on the owner because the owner is charged with caring for that animal. And the opposite's also true. Generally, when you see an animal that's been cared for, well treated, it looks great, it functions well. There is health and happiness in it. And really, again, the point I'm trying to make is that it's often the case, not always, but it's often the case that you can look to your wife And you can see the condition of her soul spiritually, whether she's filled with joy, filled with life, pursuing Christ, delighting in Christ. And that's often a reflection of your input into her life spiritually as a husband. The opposite's also true. The opposite's also true. Wives can be struggling, spiritually malnourished, spiritually dry, empty, flat, perhaps heading off on a wayward path or whatever it may be. And again, Check yourselves, men, because that could be you. It could be due to your own neglect. Now, again, it's not always the case. It's not always the case. We do not live in a perfect world, but it's something we need to consider. Obviously, there are exceptions where there are sometimes unbelieving, hard-hearted spouses who simply don't want to come under the care of their husband. And there's obviously a wife who has an unbelieving husband who is hard-hearted and doesn't care for her. And it's also true that a woman or a man of God who has an unbelieving spouse can in every way still stand on their own with God and with his word by his spirit. But this is the way God has set it up. This is the blessed way. This is the, the normal protocol within a family unit when all members are present and all members fear God. And it's often the case that very few women will complain Uh, Very few women of God will complain if their husbands nurture and care for them in spiritual matters. And uh, I guess I can, is my own testimony, I could say it this way, that our wives will even overlook our physical limitations, our inability to do all the physical and practical tasks if we are loving them spiritually, if we're caring for them, treating them well, honouring them and respecting them. John MacArthur says it this way, Since divine love seeks to completely cleanse those who are loved from every form of sin and evil, a Christian husband should not be able to bear the thought of anything sinful in the life of his wife that displeases God. His greatest desire for her should be that she become perfectly conformed to Christ. So he leads her to purity. And again, start with the bigger picture. Jesus Christ leads the church to purity. That's his desire. Jesus Christ desires for the church to become like him. Husbands, we are to lead our wives into purity so that they become like Jesus Christ. You can see how what happens in the church environment also is to happen in the family environment. That's the will of God and that is the desire of God. And it is wonderful. Again, young girls, be careful who you marry. Be careful who you marry. Young men, you need to start understanding the great responsibility that you carry and you will in a coming day carry into marriage. Be the man of God that God calls you to be. And men, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We are to be the sanctifying agents who lead and shepherd our wives into Christ's likeness. Now that is a great responsibility. Yes, she stands for herself to grow and to learn as well, but we are to be sanctifying agents given by God for the betterment of our wives. <clears throat> so mothers, mothers are to be the recipients of their husbands' purifying love, but mothers are to be the recipients of their husbands' supreme love. Supreme love. Now, there's a difference here. Now, let me show you this. Um <clears throat> Think of us men, and and we often look at ourselves, and perhaps ladies, you look at us and you think, well, they look and sound the part, they talk a big game, Uh, we seem to be intelligent and smart, we always seem to have an an answer for everything, our fingers kind of on the pulse. Uh, But Paul knows, Paul being a man, knows something about us that uh, I guess we men secretly know, we often need more clarification on things. Now, if it was clear enough that we had to love our wives as Christ loved the church, Paul kind of says, well, you know what? Let me make it even simpler for you. Let me make it even clearer. And look at what he says in verse 28. Look at the the simplification for those who didn't really get what he said in verses 26 to 27. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So husband, men, if you're looking around thinking, well, what does it look like? How do I do that? Paul says, take a look at yourselves. Examine the extent and degree of devotion to which you love yourself. Think about self. Put self first. You wake up and it's all there with that same love and that same devotion. Love your wife in that way. So if you ever happen to forget how to love your wife, just look at how you love yourself and do the same to your wife. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Paul has really made things easy for us to understand. And really, think about this. There is a truth assumed in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, and that is this, that mankind inherently loves self. We know how to care for ourselves. We know how to look after ourselves. We don't need to be trained or taught how to love self. From the womb, we exist for ourselves. Now, all people, not just men or husbands, have a supreme love for themselves. We know it all too well. Scripture assumes that. We start the day that way and we finish the the day that way. So again, men, examine the degree of devotion that exists within yourself to have your way, to please yourself, and to ensure that your own needs are met. Then go out and love your wives with the same degree of devotion that you have for yourself. It's really simple, isn't it? It's really simple. And we might stop and think, well, do I really love myself? Ask yourself this question. Who or what occupies my thoughts the most? Am I always considering how I might get my own way? Man is man, and I can tell you that we do. We do. Paul wants us to give our wives a most supreme love, and this is very, very important. And again, men, our sons are watching on. Our sons who are potentially in a coming day, going to be husbands, are watching on. And they will model their marriage and their parenting and their being a father to their wife after us. So we need to be very, very careful. And men, our daughters are watching on as well. Our daughters are watching and they are learning. And they might come away thinking that it's normal for a mum to not be loved much within a marriage, that it's okay For her to be a second-class citizen and to not receive a husband's full devoted love. God says it's not okay. God says it's not okay. You one day are going to be a mother and God's prerequisite here is that you have a husband who loves you as Christ loved the church. Now, no one's perfect at this, right? No one's perfect. But you need to find someone who has that as their goal and their objective. To be like Jesus Christ in every way. Paul goes on to give greater motivation. Look at what he says. Um, He refers to this concept of being one flesh, which refers to us being one body, one unit, joined together by God. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. And again, this concept of the two becoming one is exactly what he's talking about here. That's why he can say... The the way in which you love your wife, you're actually loving yourself because you are one flesh. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Stop there for a sec. You might hear that and you might think, well, hang on a minute, one flesh, one body, how does that work? Well, the example is set forth about Jesus Christ, that when he purchased the church through his own blood, the church and Christ, we became one. We were united in every way. And that is why he loves and cares for us. Paul is saying here, you are one with your wife, husbands. What you do to your wife, you're actually doing to yourself. To not love her is to not show the proper biblical love that you should have for yourself. So this is something we need to consider. Verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Again, that's quoting Genesis 2.24. That's where this idea of one flesh coming from originated. Um, Paul says here, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What mystery? Well, the mystery of man and woman becoming one flesh referring to Christ and the church. When that was said in Genesis, it's likely that Adam and Eve did not understand and had no idea that this was referring to Jesus Christ and the church becoming one. It was never understood. This beautiful bond in marriage where two people are joined is actually a reflection of what would in a coming day be the perfect bond between Christ and the church. Paul says that this is profound. So we can look at this other way and we can say, okay, we're post-Calvary, right? The church has been united to Christ and we are one. We could say it this way, that every marriage in Christ that honors Christ reflects back on Christ and it reflects back on that moment where he purchased the church with his own blood. So marriage was a mystery, but now it's no longer a mystery, It's revealed, it's hidden. So our marriages and what occurs in our marriages go on as a living testimony to the saving work of Christ on the cross, where he purchased the church to be one with him. Now that's profound. And I don't think we consider that enough. Very, very important. Paul says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And he reiterates the main thought here and let the wife see that she respect her husband. And again, we know from 1 Peter 3 that an unbelieving wife, uh, sorry, a believing wife can sanctify an unbelieving husband by her conduct, through her love and by her grace. Respect is very, very important because it's powerful. And again, this is important to note within marriage. Respect is to be given uh, regardless of whether or not it's actually deserved or earned. Um, Again, I haven't seen many wives struggling to love the husband who serves them, leads them, cares for them, and puts them first and lays down their life for them. Not many wives will complain about that. It's generally always the other way. But again, that doesn't mean that the wife who receives this supreme love doesn't become the high queen of the house, who is untouchable and who uh, can never be questioned or anything like that. She's not the, the chief and the lord of the home but she is a recipient of the supreme love. And that love that she receives, Scripture actually says that she is to love everyone else with that same love. Consider Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Paul says this to everyone, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And that's the principle, right? That's how you are to think. That's how you are to view other people, even in the church, outside of the family. Everyone else is more significant and more important to you. And if that is the case, you will act that way, right? Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Think of that in the marriage context. And this is where marriages go well. When a husband regards his wife as the most important person in his life. It cherishes her, it loves her, regards her as being more important than himself, then he will act accordingly. It won't be just words. It'll be carried out. When he truly believes that he will act upon it. And when she believes this about him, and when he is to her the most important person in the world, more important than herself, then she will love him with the same kind of love. How can marriage not work when that is a reality, right? When two people are trying to outdo one another in showing honor, and regarding the other as being more important than themselves. How can marriage not work? How can any relationship not work? But when you don't have this, you have James 4, one right? Each person fighting and quarreling to get their own way. So this is very important. So we've seen that mothers, mothers are to be the recipients of their husband's purifying love, his supreme love. But this third and final point, mothers are to be the recipients of their children's obedience. And this is something to consider. And maybe before I start on that, let me say this. I am convinced that children treat their mother in a proportionate and similar way that their father treats their mother. You know, monkey see, monkey do kind of thing. If he honours and loves her sacrificially, then kids will generally, not always, but will generally follow suit. But if he tears her down... If he belittles her, berates her, ridicules her and lords it over her, then children will generally, not always, follow suit. So we have a great responsibility as husbands with how we treat our mother and vice versa. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And obviously the reference here is to both parents. This morning we're focusing on the mother and the obedience that's due to a mother because of who she is and the position she occupies this word here obey it's a compound word it's two words put together it means to hear and it means to submit to what you're hearing to hear and to submit to it and that's why we use the word obey so when mum speaks and mum instructs the scripture says you are to obey whether or not you agree or not (laughs) that's a big one for kids Mothers are placed into the life of a child to guide, to teach, and to be the object of respect and honor for children and husband. And again, this is all done by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God in the life of those within the church and the family. Sorry, Proverbs 6.20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. Walk. Walk. Sorry, when you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And there are a number of proverbs and other passages which talk about how it is that children are to submit to their parents, why it is they should obey, and the blessings that come along with that. And that is something we need to consider. There's also something to consider as well. Within the marriage, when you have a mother and father who, who are united in their endeavor to love one another, to serve one another and care for one another, then children respect both parties equally. The trouble is what happens a lot of the time is that a husband doesn't love his wife as he is meant to and doesn't hold her in high honor and give her the respect that is her due. And children pick up on this. And you'll find that children will respect one and not the other, obey one and not the other. This is not to be the case. Think of it this way. If a husband is to treasure her wife and he he prizes her and he loves her with everything he has and he holds her in high regard and she does the same the other way, then both parties will never let children come in and disrespect one without parents defending the other and calling them out on it. It's so, so essential that husbands and wives respect and honour one another in this context for the sake of children. Verse 2, honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the, on the, on the land. Uh, again, honour your father and mother. It's talking about respect. It's talking about holding one in high esteem. And again, this is not thinking children when they've earned it or when they've deserved it or when you agree with what they say. Honour is due because of the position and the title and the role that they have in your life. It doesn't come when they've worked hard or when you feel like they deserve to be honoured. It's all the time. And what about this promise? Just touch on this briefly. The promise of long life. Well, you know what? There's two ways to understand this. There's two ways to understand this. Uh, The first is that God speaks in Scripture of long life generally coming to those who follow God and who follow his commandments. It's seen as a blessing from God. It's the face of God often shining upon someone who has followed him in integrity. And that's one way to look at it. The second is this. Deuteronomy 21.18 talks about the Old Testament law. And this is the negative aspect. The Old Testament law For those children who were rebellious, who could not be corrected after they'd been warned and so on, the rebellious child, according to Old Testament law, did not live very well for a reason. You know why? Because the Old Testament law required the death of that child. So the obvious inference is that a child who was obedient would never have to face that law. And yes, children sinned and disobeyed, but this is talking about the child that seriously does not give in, does not repent, does not obey. They are stiff necked and hard hearted. Death penalty was there. And all of that to say, children obeying parents, this is very, very serious. You know, sometimes I remind my kids of that verse, and, you know, um, things have changed, obviously, but just to get them to see that that is God's perspective. He is greatly displeased when children do not obey their parents. Greatly displeased. Obviously, the death penalty is not around now. We live under grace. But again, see the heart of God behind the law. It's never right and it's never fitting for children to disobey parents. Mothers and fathers deserve honor because of the place that they hold in the children's life. They are in a position of authority. And that is important to God. Children must honor parents. Um, a mother, specifically here, is to be the recipient of a child's obedience. You know, we have the phrase, and I don't know if you've ever heard this in your own home you wait till your father gets home. Um, I've heard it, you've heard it. Uh, I've been on the receiving end of that as a child, but then even heard it in my own home from time to time. You wait till your father gets home. What's that telling us? What's that telling us? The mother, in that instance, for even for a moment or for that time, does not have the same respect that the father does, right? There's an inequality. Something's out of balance. Something isn't right. The children have lost the lofty, honorable view that they are to have of their mother. And they probably just fear their father not honoring him. But children, in this instance, have lost the respect and honor that is due to their mother. Kids, can I appeal to you that the honor and respect that you give to your father, you are to give to your mother as well. They are one flesh and both are in authority over you. So let me finish by saying this. We consider the marriage concept. Uh, we consider the wonderful design by God where families flourish and there is the mother being honored and respected and uh, esteemed and held up high by the husband, and vice versa, and the children submit and obey, and and obviously it's not a perfect world, but by and large that is the direction and pursuit of that family that honors God. And we can look and we can think, well, how does that happen? Uh, you might be someone who doesn't know Christ and looking on and thinking, well, is it just because they're kind people, or they're good people, or they're nice people, or or they've gotten to where they've gotten to because of hard work? Or they just have this innate ability to to love and be loving. And I'm a bit prickly and some people are just nice. Maybe that's just them. What we need to understand is this. That when you see husbands and wives and children loving with the love of Christ, it is because the Lord Jesus Christ has filled their hearts with his love. That is what occurs at the new birth. There becomes a desire and an ability to do what God says. And that's where lives are changed and transformed. On the one hand, we could say that a family dynamic can have a reasonably happy life outside of Christ. But to truly love the way that God calls each family member to love, it only occurs when each person is spirit-filled and walking with Christ. I can't love my love, my wife perfectly. I can't love my wife perfectly with Christ's love unless Christ is in my heart and unless I'm submissive to him. And she can't do the same back to me either. How does this occur? Well, it occurs at the moment of salvation. You looking on and listening, well how do I come to know the Lord in a saving way? Let me consider this. Consider this. I talked to someone just the other day about this. We can say, well I believe And sometimes we think that that belief requires nothing of us. Kind of like when we vote either liberal, labor, or someone else in between. It doesn't really impact the choices that we make on a daily basis. We can be tempted to think that Jesus is okay with us just saying that I believe in him or I acknowledge him apart from all other religions. That's not true. And the scripture does say, John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But true belief, genuine belief, real belief goes forward in actions. Let me explain this. When you are born into this world, and I said this just yesterday, when you are born into this world, you are born as the Lord of your own life. Whether you can act upon this or not, it's a different matter. But you are born pursuing your own will. You are the Lord and master of your life. And as you grow, this gets more clear and becomes more pronounced and then you get to 16, 17, 18 and, and the desire to exert your will on not just your family but everyone in the universe becomes more apparent. And you work very hard to have everyone to submit to you and everything go your way. You are the Lord and master of your life. You call the shots and you are the boss. And when you come to Christ for belief and you come to trust him and you come to receive his hand of salvation, you are not the Lord of lords, he is. He is the Lord who is above all lords, even you, little Lord, right? Your lordship must be surrendered and renounced. You must stop being the Lord of your life and you must turn to Christ, believe in him, trust in him, and he must become the Lord of your life. So you now live according to his word. You now dance to the beat of a very different drum, the lordship of Christ. That's what it means to be a believer, it's all too easy to say, well, I believe, and yet I still live my life for myself, calling all the shots. Friends, that's someone who doesn't know the Lord. When you are born again, you have made a deliberate choice to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ. I am no longer following my own ways. I am now following Christ. So when you look into that family context, and when you hear this morning, and you look at each other and each person who's uh, living the Christian life, Living the God-honouring life, it is because they have made this choice to surrender their wills to the will of God. We sang in that song, the second last song, His is the right to rule my life. I wonder if you realise the very words that you were saying. It's a declaration that He is Lord, not me. Now that decision to be Lord of your life affects everything. It affects everything. So I pray for you this morning, if you have not made that decision, if you are still holding on and you are still living for yourself and you are not not surrendering to Christ, I would encourage you to do so. Charles Spurgeon said, you can live without Christ, but you can't afford to die without him. You can live for yourself in this life and have everything go your way, but to not receive the hand of salvation and to not make Jesus your Lord is to go to a Christless, lost judge, uh, eternity of judgment in hell. So I pray that you would do that. I pray, men uh, and children, that you would be encouraged by this message, that you consider that which is um, called by God for us to give to our wife and our mother. I pray that this would encourage your hearts and strengthen you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to sit under your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you also for your great love, which you have shed abroad in our hearts. And I do pray for any here this morning who are kicking against you, fighting against you, not wanting to surrender to your lordship, that they would do that even today. Father, I pray for your grace. I thank you for Mothers, I thank you for wives, I thank you for children, I thank you for the family unit and pray and ask Lord God that you would continue to teach us, instruct us, guide us and grant to us the grace to have hearts that are soft and sensitive to the instruction of your word. We give you thanks and we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks Mel.